Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. Welcome to Wager Talk on the Sports Grid TV Network. Welcome Zumo viewers on channel 719. Welcome to all of you listening in podcast form on all the podcast outlets that we have. This is your Sports Central for Betters. I'm Teddy Covers at Teddy underscore covers on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my co-host Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV. And this is a Wager Talk. Let's get right into it, Ralph, like we do at the top of every show. We like to do what we call BBBBBB, bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books. A little recap of what happened last night and talking about the hot topics of the day. And it starts with Major League Baseball, where the Chicago Cubs continue to be in absolute free fall. Six straight losses for the Cubs. They lost as $2 favorites last night. Clearly, that's a problem for anyone that's been back in Chicago. Well, you look at their offense. I mean, uh, in those losses, their offense has only scored over two runs in two of those games. So uh, we clearly have a a team that's going to finish the season non-competitive, and that's exactly what you're looking for. You're looking for those teams that have just given up, have decided they can't reach their goals, and tank. And it seems that's exactly what the Cubs are doing. Sure. It sure feels like the end of an era in Chicago with Joe Madden's contract expiring at the end of the season. This is not a team I'm excited about backing over the final week of the campaign, but they're not the only team in the National League that's in free fall right now. The Philadelphia Phillies suffered their fifth straight loss last night. They're now sitting at 500. Can a team that spent more money last offseason than any in baseball actually finish this season sub 500? And Ralph, what does this mean for the free agent market moving forward with Philly spending all that money and not getting return on their investment? Just one of many teams that spent that opened their checkbooks this past MLB offseason and didn't get the results that they were looking for. Well, Philadelphia won in seven down the stretch, but they're a little bit different than the Cubs. They've been a a sizable dog in those games because they played the Braves, the Indians and the Nationals. So, uh, you know, with that being said, they're, they're not winning games. But again, the Cubs have been a substantial favorite in those games while Philly's been a dog. Uh, you know, I think I think it hurts the market. You know, we saw the hesitance last year to sign the big free agents. Yes, they finally got signed. We talked about it on yesterday's show. Uh, you know what what they've done, what Machado and San Diego, what, what the Phillies have done with their big signings. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's going to hurt those big hitters. I think the pitchers are going to get paid their money. I think this hurts the hitters moving forward uh, in free agency. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all, because when you talk about what you can do in MLB, what there are a plethora of and what there are many of, you know, the pitching is always going to attract a premium in the offseason. And when it comes to free agencies, it's the big hitters who signed the long term contracts who crashed and burned this past season. We do have races going on. The big race in the American League, right? Well, there's two big races in the American League. One, uh, of course, for the wild card spot. We'll talk about that in a minute. The other for home field advantage. Throughout the playoffs, the Houston Astros winning the Yankees get just one hit in their loss at Tampa last night. Astros now with a two-game lead for that all-important who gets game seven at home situation against the Bronx Bombers. Yeah, you know, I think the edge to the Astros, no question. You know, the way they finished their, what, 9-1 their last 10, one loss, and uh, that was 
with Sandoval on the mound for the Angels. So uh, I think the Astros get the edge. I think the Yankees are just going to, you know, go through what they always do. Uh, you know, an amazing season for the Yankees with the injuries they've had. The Astros, who they continue to sign in free agency, is just amazing as well. I give the Astros the edge. So with Houston and the Yankees at the top of the American League, there's still a race for the wild card spots. And while we all expect we're talking about Houston, and the Yankees and the all important game seven at home, you know, we're kind of putting the cart before the horse there. Yes. Astros and Yankees are both big favorites to meet in the ALCS, but they're going to have to get through some teams to do it. And that means a wild card. And in the wild card race right now, we saw the Indians lose last night. The A's stole one in the ninth inning. Matt Chapman with the home run is 35th of the season, 36th. Uh, but the bomb after Oakland had blown scoring chance after scoring chance all night, finally got the job done in the ninth. So with the Indians losing and the A's winning, it's a one and a half game lead. Cleveland falling behind coming up this weekend, Cleveland at Washington for the weekend, Oakland at Seattle for the weekend, Tampa at Toronto for the weekend. So not only are the Indians falling behind, they also face the toughest opponent of the three. If the nationals come to play. Over the weekend, what's your take on the AL wildcard race? Three teams for two spots. Well, you asked me a week ago and I thought my hometown Indians wouldn't make it. So, you know, they've they've impressed me getting to where they were. Yes, they lost yesterday. And yes, they have the most difficult situation. You know, when you're when you're looking at these games now, you know, I would look to play on these teams more in live situations because the Indians you're going to have them playing Washington. Washington's going to try to set up their their pitching rotation. And what you do when you're setting your pitching rotation, you let them go in, pitch the first three, four, or five innings just to get some work and pull them out. So you may be going against the Nationals' aces, but those pitchers are going to come out much earlier than they regularly would. So keep an eye on that. That's an excellent point, Ralph, for this weekend's MLB. We're not likely to talk much MLB on Friday show given the nature of the football Friday. So be aware for this weekend, Cleveland may be a better bet than the odds might indicate because Washington's going to pull their pitchers early. Let's talk a little bit of NFL news. Melvin Gordon has ended his holdout in L.A. He's going to be back for the Chargers. Don't know if he's going to play this week. Does Melvin Gordon have any impact against the spread? Or is this something the media is going to fixate on but as a better, we, we we could care less. Austin Eckler, Justin Jackson have gotten the job done at the running back position for L.A. Uh, just before we came on, they said he was going to sit this week and he was going to play next week. So Great. no impact this week. I don't think he'll have any impact on the line. But I think Philip Rivers, he may not say it publicly, but I think he will be a better quarterback with him in the lineup. He knows how to how to use the checkoff passes to Gordon. There's not that many, but with Eckler, they've been non-existent. So I think Rivers is better because of him being back, but no effect on the line. Yeah, in my estimation, Melvin Gordon is worth exactly this much to the point spread. That would be zero, not even half a point tick for Melvin Gordon. We'll talk about the Chargers and the Dolphins and the point spread this weekend. That's in line movers coming up next right here on Wait. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Look at the cool new wager 
talk cup. I love it. Good stuff. Uh, Ralph's got one too. Maybe once in a while we'll actually drink them on air. But for now, we got to go into line movers because our audience expects us to do that right here in the show. We do it every day. Talk about where the markets are moving. Most importantly, why the markets are moving. The goal, you're interested in the game. You want to get down now? You want to wait? Getting the best of the number makes all the difference. That's the biggest difference between pros and Joes. So this line mover segment, one you might want to pay attention to over the next few minutes. Let's get right into it, Ralph. Redskins money. Giants were sitting at three everywhere. Those threes are now gone. Washington down to two and a half against the New York football giants. Is this a Saquon Barley, uh, Barkley situation where Barkley, we knew he wasn't going to play and the line came out three anyway. Are the markets betting news that was already in the number or is this just the Giants defense is so bad we can't lay points with this team? Well, you know, I think uh, first off, the number is because what have you done for me lately looking as bad as the Redskins did? And then I think there's the reaction, well, listen, they played the best defense in football and they still moved the ball in the second half. And you and I have talked about this numerous times. There's two running backs that can move the line. Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley. I, I think the line's still too high for the Giants. I, I expect this line to jump down now. So, if you like the Redskins, grab any threes that are left now. I don't think they'll be there this weekend. Yeah, there aren't really any threes right now. Of course, Case Keenum, is uh, his status still very much in doubt for this weekend. He was seen in a walking boot yesterday, which is not necessarily a great sign for playing on Sunday. And yet the money has come for the Skins even with Keenum hurt. It's interesting what the wise guys are saying here. They're saying doesn't matter, even if it's Dwayne Haskins, at QB for the Redskins. The Giants do not deserve to be three-point favorites against anybody. Of course, Giants haven't won a game by three points or more since last season. We've seen a market move towards the Miami Dolphins. And last week, I found my buy price on Miami. It was plus 23. That was the number that I said, yes, I will take money out of my wallet and go to the betting window and bet on Miami. I learned my lesson. (laughs) The markets have it. Uh, we're seeing Dolphins money. and Some of this, it, it can only be anti-Chargers money, can it? Or is there something here that someone sees in Miami? I understand they moved the football up and down the field in the first half last week. I also understand their opponent had absolutely no interest in stopping them. It's not like Dallas brought their A game. The Chargers coming off back-to-back losses. They bring their A game here. Money for Miami. Well, you know, the Chargers are accustomed to this. Each of the last five years, they've started off one and two or zero oh and three. So this is no surprise to Philip Rivers. But yeah, yeah, there's some urgency for the Chargers for sure. But you know, I think this is just anti-Charger money. We know so much is made about West Coast teams going to the East Coast with the early start times. But against the spread, that has improved. That has improved one iota that there's anything to that. But again, we know even with the sharps, they talk about those West Coast teams coming east. I just think this is a play against the Chargers, and there's no way Miami can keep uh, failing to cover as bad as they are, can they? Oh, yeah, they can. Miami's been outgained by 3.5 yards per snap. All right. Again, I've been in Vegas since 1998. Miami's stats through three games are the worst stats I've ever seen from any NFL team in three three games into a season. And I have Miami power rated as the single worst NFL team. Worst in the 0-16 Browns. 
worst in the 0-16 Lions at any point during those seasons. Miami's powering now for me lower than my lowest Browns or my lowest Lions. Yes, I went back and looked. You know me, Ralph. I'm like you. I keep a whole lot of records and spreadsheets on my computer. Let's shift focus to college and talk about some of the big line movers in college football. We've seen the rambling wreck from Georgia Tech taking money against Temple. Are the markets looking at Temple as being, yeah, they're okay, but they shouldn't be laying more than a touchdown to an ACC squad? Or are the markets saying, hey, watch out, Georgia Tech is going to get better as this season progresses? They've underachieved, but they're primed for improvement. What's your take on the line move in Temple, Georgia Tech? Well, yeah, I think it coincides. There was an article I read, you know, out of Atlanta and talking, interviewing Jeff Collins. Of course, Jeff Collins was the Temple head coach last year, so he knows the personnel well. But I think there's too much to be said of that. I think the Temple players are upset he left. You know, you're not really upset if a player, if a coach moves on. But he talked about building that program and wanting to make Temple something special. So, you know, I just think it is it is an overreaction. We saw. Uh, people think that if you lose to a team like Citadel, you know, it's surprising to me that this is the point where they're going to try to back Georgia Tech off that Citadel loss when you only beat UCF by four. Uh, This is another line move I don't agree with, but I think a lot of the line move was because of an article Collins put about knowing the personnel very well at Temple. Of course, you know, as a personnel, that being said, there might be a little bit of extra motivation for those Temple kids this week against a coach who promised them all kinds of things and then abandoned them on the next plane out of town. Stanford taking money. This is one we talked early in the week. We said Stanford's got to look at the line. Stanford's three. They can't be three. And they're not anymore. Stanford up to four uh, in many places. And some leading indicator books saying this line could go higher. Cardinal taking money in Corvallis despite, I mean, you haven't seen a whole lot of college football teams look worse than Stanford the last three weeks. They've been slapped around, slapped around, and slapped around again. Three consecutive double-digit losses, but a series history that says the Cardinals are supposed to go up to Corvallis and win the game comfortably. Well, you know, let, let's put it in perspective for Stanford. Yes, you've had three double-digit losses, but you were also at USC. You back-to-back road games going to UCF, and then you're home to the most talented team in the Pac-12, Oregon. So very few teams have played schedules as difficult as Stanford over their past three games. This, to me, is just we have a team in Stanford that historically has nine or ten or more wins we have a coach in David Shaw that has never had a one in four record. I think this is sort of the do system for Stanford with people thinking, well, there's no way now that they're finally taking a step down in class that they can lose four in a row. I'm not so sure about the handicap. I had Stanford way lower than most at the start of the year. And Oregon State, despite a one one and two record, and yeah, they lost to Hawaii, you know, I, I think they they are much better than they've been in the past competitively. And and I look for this game to go down to the wire. Yeah, so, I mean, the one thing with, I mean, the series history here is really one-sided. Stanford has dominated Oregon State. And they don't go one and four. You know, it's, a, it's supposed to be a cardinal spot. The market's clearly seeing that heavy Stanford money earlier in the week. The Fighting Irish line is on the way up. We talked about this game as well with uh, Notre Dame uh, facing Virginia. And 11, 11 and a half. Now we're looking at 12 and a half. 
and the leading indicator books are telling us this might even go higher. How high will it go? Will Notre Dame hit minus 14 against Virginia? And do you have a buy price on either team? Obviously, if you had a buy price on the Irish, oops, you might have missed it. Do you have a buy price on the Cavaliers if the the line does get to 14? And do you think it'll get there, Ralph? I don't. Uh, You know, I might be interested in Virginia at 14. And, you know, Notre Dame can go one of two ways this weekend. They can say, hey, our bubble burst. We're out of the national championship. We lost a game. We knew we had to go undefeated to become one of the four playoff teams. Or if Brian Kelly and he and the players have said the right thing. Listen, we took on one of the top three teams in college football. We went on the road. We played a Saturday night national TV game in front of the largest crowd in Atlanta history for football. We can run the season out and run the table. Uh, I think Ian Book is actually the better quarterback than Bryce Perkins, although I love Bryce Perkins. I love mobile quarterbacks. And if Virginia gets down early, you know, Virginia's goals now, they're 2-0 and in the ACC. They've got a road game against Miami at deck. They can lose this game and still have one loss, play Clemson in the ACC championship. And if they win that, their name's going to be bantered around for one of the playoff spots. So, you know, this is a game where if Virginia gets down early or if something happens fluky, I think the Irish can extend the lead and pull away with this point spread. The markets seem to think that, too, because it's been nothing but Notre Dame money, even off that tough loss. And the bubble burst theory in college football works great late in the season when a team's had a lot of time to think about what they would do if they reach the playoffs. Doesn't work as well in September. We'll be right back here on Week. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Do you want two risk-free wagers up to $1,000? Go to pointsbet.com slash grid and open up a PointsBet sports wagering account. Enter the promo code GRID and you'll get two risk-free wagers up to $1,000. In addition to traditional betting, PointsBet also offers its own betting concept where customers are rewarded by how much they win, by, by how much they win their bet. For example, if you're playing tonight's NFL game and you bet the Packers minus four and a half, they beat the Eagles by seven points, you'll receive seven times your stake. That's pointspread.com slash grid. Enter promo code grid and get your two risk-free bets up to $1,000 a day. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and over. New Jersey only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See website for details. It's big game breakdown time. We're going to do one segment in college, one segment for the NFL, and a ton of games to go through. Let's break them down, and we'll start with tonight's game. And this is a game, Ralph, I mean, my gut reaction was it's too many points. And yet, I found nothing that makes me excited about getting in the window with Navy. Memphis, the Tigers, minus 11, total of 54 against the Middies. It's a Navy team like UAB, like Georgia Tech. Supposed to be way, way down this year. Are they? And if they are, is are Memphis going to roll them? Because the series history here is one competitive game after the next. Well, 
you you look at Navy and the military academies having eight, nine or ten returning starters is pretty much the norm. If you look at their history, they always start so many seniors. So you might look at Navy and say, well, we only have eight returning starters. That's much different than Georgia Tech only returning eight starters because of the way you because of the way the military military academies operate. But situationally, I think there's a big edge to Memphis. If you're facing the option, you want extra time to prep for the option. Hence, Memphis had off last weekend. And yes, this is a short week, but it's still 11 games between uh, 11 days between games. If you're Navy, the buy actually hurts you. You want to get your timing down on on the blocking schemes. You want to get your timing down on the pitch. And Navy has not been tested. They've only played Holy Cross and East Carolina. So from that situation, plus you add in revenge from last year, Memphis lost a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter. They failed to cover against a favorite each of the last two years against Navy. But again, then, on the flip side, you have to remember – Navy's 20 and 10 ATS as a dog because they slow the pace down and they're 15 and 8 ATS as a double digit dog because, again, the offense is only going to be able to run 60, maybe 70 plays if they're going very fast tempo. And you have to play mistake free to be able to cover that double digit spread. You know, I've gone back and forth on this game. If I had to, if I had to pick a side to back tonight, it would be Navy, but that would be the most, the slightest of leans. Yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. Excellent breakdown, Ralph, really. I'm sure our viewers appreciated that. That was spot on when it comes to Memphis and Navy tonight. Of course, when it comes to Saturday, Big 1230 Pacific. And yeah, I'm using Pacific times. We're in Vegas. I'm not using East Coast times. I know you guys are back East watching. All right, 330 on the East Coast. The big 330 game. But out here, we call it the big 1230 game. Washington and USC Trojans off an impressive upset win over Utah. And a lot of people talk about the yardage numbers last week. USC was out yarded in that game. Well, USC was a better team in that game. And they were able to make plays with their passing game downfield throughout the entirety. So I, I worry less about the yardage when I know that the team that was out yarded was in control of the contest like USC was. Some of that had to do with the Utah injuries, <laughs> most assuredly. But when you're talking about a step up in defensive class away from home, not going to be easy for the Trojans this week. Step, I mean, not that Utah's defense is bad. Utah's defense is very good. Washington's defense is the best in the Pac-12, period. And the Huskies' offense, better than it's been in recent seasons. All the talk is Tua Herbert, Tua Herbert. Don't be surprised if Washington QB Jacob Eason is a guy that people are talking about as the potential number one overall draft choice next spring. But... Huskies, they were 10. Now it's 10 and a half at most spots. There's been Washington money today. What's your take, Washington, USC? Well, I am a USC fan. I I am happy to see them in my mind, turn it around this year in Clay Helton's fifth year. And I think a lot of credit goes to Graham Harrell with the new offense. You know, we said we saw them against Stanford have a lead and not sit on the lead and push that lead and continue to pass. The issue is this. You're down to your third quarterback for USC. And yeah, all four were in the battle. But just like we saw Slovis go to BYU in his first road start and throw a couple picks, 
This is now Fink's first road start. I think that's a, a huge difference. Fink was able at home against Utah smaller DBs to throw a lot of balls up deep and USC's receivers made those 50-50 catches. That's not going to happen on the road against Washington's DBs. I think Washington's in a position here that they're going to be able to move the ball. I think Washington's defense will be able to get enough pressure on Fink and the USC O-line. And and young quarterbacks are going to learn pretty quick. Playing at home against Utah is one thing. Playing on the road against Washington's another. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the Washington Huskies to close out the show today. We're talking about long shots in the future book. But we're not talking about long shots in the future book right now. We're talking about Iowa State and Baylor, the Cyclones on the road, laying points to a Baylor team that we haven't really seen a whole lot from Baylor in the Matt Rule era. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Is this the time that Baylor starts to show us, hey, pay attention to us? Or is Iowa State the clear choice here as road chalk? Minus three, total of 55. Well, you know, Teddy, we always talk about we have preseason power ratings and we're seeing what teams do week one to pass the eye test as we analyze week two. Well, I'll tell you what, we are five weeks in and we still don't know what the heck this Baylor team is. You play SF Austin, UTSA, and Rice. This is the old Bill Snyder method of, of scheduling non-conference foes, becoming 3-0, and and then seeing what happens when you get to the conference play. But I think they are improved. You know, I have Iowa State number two in the Big 12 in my preseason rankings. I had Baylor number three. I had Baylor ahead of Texas. So I do believe the Bears are much better. Uh, you know, Iowa State, a little under the radar. They blew out ULM, yes, but people remember the Iowa loss. People remember the triple overtime win against Northern Iowa, but they outgained Northern Iowa by 201 yards. They outgained Iowa by 105 yards, and ULM they outgained by almost 300 yards. You know, it's tough for me to to pick a side here because you don't know what you're going to get a Baylor, but I did pull this, uh, this interesting fact up from week five on. So, you know, once you've established and you've played, if you are an undefeated home dog, you've gone 67% against the spread back to 2012. So in the last nine years, those teams like Baylor sitting at 3-0 and and getting disrespected by getting points has been a pretty powerful, motivating tool. And it's definitely worth noting here, Ralph. I hear it all the time when I walk into a sports book here in Vegas. You hear it all in, in public forums. People are like, well, they haven't played anyone. They haven't played anyone, which, which is true with Baylor. That doesn't mean that they're no good because they haven't played anyone. All you can do is play the teams that are on your schedule, and you'll sometimes see teams be undervalued after they've blown out some weaklings because they haven't played anyone. That being said, I mean, clearly, Iowa State's the battle-tested of these two teams. Baylor, not so much. We haven't talked Clemson yet this week. Let's talk about it real quick. Clemson minus 26 and a half, total of 61 at North Carolina. No point spread bargains with the Tigers at this stage. That's a lot of points against a Tar Heels team that has been a feisty underdog so far this season. Well, Teddy, I'm going to mention something we've talked about one more time. When you get elite teams on the road like Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, 
on the road, they can only take 72, 75, or 77 players, depending on what conference they're in. So you're only taking your first string, you're only taking your second string, and perhaps a few third stringers, plus your special teams guys. Well, Clemson's covered five straight as an away away favorite of 14 or more points. I love the way their defense is playing. And I, I think they really are going to get Trevor Lawrence to get a feel-good game. Trevor Lawrence cannot be happy with a 7-5 ratio this week. And, and, and North Carolina just has been through the ringer. You start off with South Carolina. Then you have a conference game, Miami of Florida. Then you go on the road. You play an ACC road game at Wake Forest. Then you play an in-state foe, App State, and you get beat. Back-to-back losses to Wake Forest and App State, I think, can put a uh, can put a thought in their head that this, this certainly can be a blowout. I actually lean with the Clemson side. Yeah, exactly. Whatever happened to, to Mac Brown's hot start is now well in the rearview mirror. Let's do some quick hitters here. We only have a couple minutes left to talk college football. Wake Forest, minus six and a half, total of 70 against BC. The Boston the Eagles defense has been awful so far this season. I would think Wake will be able to chuck the football all over the field in this game. Can they get stops in order to cover this spread? Or will they not get stops? It'll fly over the total. Well, my power rating is basically pick them. So I, you know, my power rating has me leaning with this BC side. You know, uh, Wake Forest has impressed me. I love it. Uh, I, I think I think this will be a higher scoring game. SMU minus seven and a half. Total of 63 at South Florida. We're talking about a Mustangs team coming off a very big win over an in-state rival, beating TCU last week. Now they got to lay more than a TD on the road at USF. Then again, USF. Sometimes it's easy to beat USF these days. That is not a bet on school, in my opinion. 30 seconds, Ralph. This is one of the worst scheduling spots this entire schedule. Don't discount SMU's win over TCU. It was historic for that program. I don't think they could play to that level again this week. I like them to win the game, but not to cover. When we come back here on Wager Talk, NFL big game breakdown. Stay tuned. Don't miss it. Don't change that dial. Listen to what Chris said about Andrew Ford. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels bringing you the world of sports and sports betting in one hour right here on Wager Talk Course. Uh, follow Ralph on Twitter at CalSportsLV. Follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. Follow the Sports Grid Network on Twitter at SportsGrid. You'll get <laughs> uh, the notices and tweets that you want for the programming you're looking for. And of course, download the Sports Grid app, grid, sports grid app on your device. And you got all this stuff on demand, Pro- quality programming. 24 hours a day on demand on your device with that SportsGrid app. So follow at SportsGrid, download the app. Let's talk NFL. We'll start with the night's game. Green Bay, minus four, total of 46 against Philadelphia. We've seen a little bit of money come in on the Eagles over the course uh, of the morning so far into the afternoon. Uh, You know, this was four and a half. Now it's four. Looks like Alshon Jeffrey is likely to play for Philly. They will not have Deshaun Jackson tonight. As for the Packers, 
This is a team that hasn't played four quarters of football in a row yet, but their defense have been spot on, and they're still 3-0 and on the season. Yeah, you know, they say Jeffrey's going to play his normal amount of plays. So, uh, you know, I think he's a full go. And just to give an example of I'm going to give conflicting angles on this game, conflicting systems. And, you know, you can always find information. But when you're handicapping and you're betting, your job is to take all the information available, sort out what you feel is the most important and the most relevant. And then use it to your advantage to either play a game or perhaps keep you off a game. First thing, let's talk about the Thursday night non-division angle. You know, Thursday night is difficult in the NFL. You've got a short week. That certainly gives the edge to the to the home team with the visitor having to travel and losing multiple days of practice. Well, so far this year, we've seen the underdogs win all three games outright. What's unique about the first three weeks of the season on Thursday nights? All three were division games. You know your division foes. You know your division coaches. You've been to your division stadiums every year. So there's familiarity. But when you have non-division road teams like we do tonight, the non-division home favorite has gone 34-14, and 14, 72% against the spread. And over the last year and a half, they've gone 9-0-1 against the spread. Perfect. Again, going 9-0-1 the last 10. But if I wanted to make a point towards the Green Bay side, how about this number? Being a first-year NFL head coach is tough. Being a first-year NFL head coach trying to plan your game plan on a short week like Green Bay is this week, First-year head coaches on a short week coaching on Thursday have gone 10 and 19, 34.5% against the spread. You know, so there's multiple angles on both sides. With that, I'm going to say this. You know, Rodgers is like a coach. So being a first-year head coach in Green Bay with the offense and having Rodgers at quarterback isn't like being a first-year head coach for the Cleveland Browns where you're learning, you know, all the personnel and putting in all new schemes. So, you know, in this case, I do like Green Bay tonight, but just hopefully you guys learn to, to pick and choose what's important, what's relevant, and make the right decision moving forward. Teddy, any comments on this game? Your thought? Yeah, see, I mean, the, the, the my mind, the two angles, which of the one is more meaningful – I will absolutely go with the rookie head coach doesn't get the job done on Thursday night. There's some, and look, there's a little bit of randomness in all of this. But if you're going to say, well, the non-division games, there's a clear edge for the for the favorite and the, for the home team, you make a case that. But you say the rookie head coach is clearly struggling, and you say, I can make a case and I can prove it. Uh, so in my mind, that's the of the two angles, that's the one that stands out to me as being the most pertinent if I'm playing tonight, I ain't laying. It's dog or pass for this better. That's what's great about this, Teddy. You know, you and I both look at exact same numbers. We have different opinions, as everyone else will. So, again, that's what makes sports betting so unique. Multiple people can look at the exact same numbers, analyze a game differently, and come up with different choices. Well, we know that one of the best games this week is going to be New England traveling to Buffalo. Uh, you have a 3-0 and team as a home dog. That's certainly a rarity. Patriots laying seven, a total of 42 and a half. Can the Bills put a little pressure on the Patriots and win a meaningful division game? 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, series history there says no. Uh, three and 28 straight up uh, Buffalo the last 31 meetings against the Patriots. But it's worse than that uh, because two of the three times they beat New England were games where Tom Brady didn't play. Uh, I think once he was hurt, once was a week 17 where he was sitting or something like that. So it's not like they've beaten Brady a whole lot. It's happened once, <laughs> uh, which is uh, kind of ugly, to put it mildly. And, Ralph, I, I want to touch on the point that you just made about how betters who you respect can look at the exact same info and come up with different opinions about the same game. That's the whole key to sports betting. If we all like the same sides every week and everyone looked at the data and said, oh, it's clear, Team A, you know, there'd be 100% of the bets on Team A and there'd be no marketplace. <laughs> and the sports book would be feast or famine. And that's not the way it works. You know, it just, what, what happens is even games where the pros and the Joes line up on the same side, like we saw on Sunday Night Football last week, where the pros and the Joes were all on the Rams and the Rams won and covered, and it was a bad result for the house. There was still Cleveland money in that game. It wasn't 100% Rams bets. It was plenty of Cleveland money. That's the nature of the NFL betting marketplace. In college football, you'll find sometimes sides that, you know, they might take one or two bets all week in some games, but those aren't the marquee games that that's going to happen. Uh, and in general, it's a situation where, the you know, the books are not freaked out about only getting one-way action, but they tend to get two-way action. And there wouldn't be a betting market if it wasn't that if that wasn't the case. All right, that was, uh, yeah, that was far too long uh, to go off to get yeah. sidetracked there. Don't let me go down the rabbit hole. Uh, Patriots and Bills. <laughs> uh, that was a bad rabbit hole. I felt like I talked for four minutes there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the point was there, but we had to break down New England and Buffalo. And as we mentioned, it's been a, a one-sided series. There are teams that I don't want to stand in front of right now, and New England's one of those teams. You know, we've seen Belichick say we're playing the full 60 minutes. We've seen the Patriots' defense look as dominant as the defense can look. And we've seen enough out of these Buffalo-New England matchups that say, yeah, all the time, all the talk is Buffalo, 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 and they're never there. You know, they're, they're never there. So Brady's been banged up. Not banged up. Brady's been limited in practice. And his quote was, I'm no spring chicken anymore, you know. Uh, and if Buffalo shuts down uh, New England's running game, guess what? Now Brady's got to throw, and now it's a competitive contest. But uh, it's like it's a leap of faith that I'm just not ready to take with the Bills. The the values there with Buffalo, I wouldn't talk anyone out of taking Buffalo, but I've seen enough of these spots in my 22 football seasons in Vegas to go, eh, the serious history here means something to me. Belichick's divisional mark means something to me, and New England, not a team I'm comfortable betting against. I don't think any team was more overrated after week one than Tennessee, plus three turnovers at Cleveland, 18 penalties by Cleveland. It leads to a 43-13 win. What happens? You lose the next week against Indy. Now you go to a physical Jacksonville team, and now back-to-back games going to Atlanta. The Falcons on the road, 0-2. At home on Sunday night against Philly, get the winning cover thanks to a nice connection by Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Atlanta, or as Teddy says, Hotlanta, minus four, a total of 45. Your take. Yeah, I mean, you got to have nicknames for these cities and teams. It's just 
part of what we do, you know, it's hot Atlanta, man. You know, you, you ever been there in the summertime? Trust me. Uh, it's hot. I was there, uh, this past summer and it was, it was worse than Vegas, uh, which there aren't many places that are more, more uncomfortable than Las Vegas in the summertime. Uh, Atlanta oh, was one of them. This is a circle the wagon spot for the Falcons. And this is a, it's a learn, a learn game for me. If I'm playing, I'm laying, I'll leave it at that. I don't want Tennessee in this spot. The quotes coming out of the Falcons locker room after they lost last week were, we're better than this. We got to clean things up. It's time. Returning home to face a beatable foe. And, you know, say what you want about Tennessee. They're not getting in the 40s again this year on offense. You know, that offense isn't capable of doing that. And it wasn't against Cleveland. It was turnovers uh, that created the 40-point outburst. But, you know, it's a limited offensive attack. And, you know, last week they weren't prepped. And the offensive line got annihilated in Jacksonville. Mariota got sacked nine times in that ballgame. And, you know, you could have given uh, Tennessee five more drives at the end of the game. They still weren't going to march down the field and put it in the end zone. That concerns me here in a spot for Atlanta. They were not happy after last week's loss. And the quotes coming out of that locker room were hungry, and we're going to get it right this week. Falcons are passed for me. Tampa Bay, Bruce Arians, the quarterback whisperers, first year with Jameis Winston. Ten sacks for Jameis so far. Uh, You know, again, the heartbreaking loss against the Giants. We look at the Rams, and yeah, the Rams may only have eight sacks, but we all saw the pressure they put on Baker Mayfield the last week. Can Jameis withstand that pressure? And what's your take on the L.A. Rams minus nine and a half with a total of 49 and a half? This is not a Ram spot. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you wanted you talked about some of the bad spots in college football, like uh, SMU laying seven and a half at UCF or USF this weekend. This is a rough spot. You know, we got the Rams off the huge revenge matchup. Well, it was revenge for the Saints, but a huge game against the Saints, and then a huge Sunday night football game against Cleveland. Up next for the Rams, oh, they have Seattle and San Fran, two division rivals that are aiming for them and are both off to good starts. In between, oh, here's this game against Jameis and the one and two bucks, you know, and nobody's worried about Tampa. And it's a bad spot for L.A. It's a one-way game for me. I can only take Tampa. I mean, it's that bad of a spot. It really is. I mean, it stands out like a sore thumb. So you ask yourself, do you want Tampa? And, hey, they won their only road game so far this season. That's a positive sign. And you start thinking about, you know, we saw, we saw what happened with when Wade Phillips designed a game plan against Baker Mayfield last week. Pretty good. We saw him when he designed the game plan against the Saints offense two weeks ago. Pretty good. Wade Phillips designing a defense against Jameis Winston, a quarterback who makes mistakes, who throws picks, who has had more than his share of problems against quality opponents. It's a concern here. It's Tampa or pass, which is probably going to be a pass for me. Russell Wilson throwing for 406 yards. What the? What's this NFL coming to? You know, last week in the loss to New Orleans, they got behind uh, an early, an early special teams touchdown. And you know, you look at the box score and you say Seattle had a 250 yard edge, but New Orleans was in control of the game most of that time. Seattle is 14 and five against the spread off a home loss. They're going to face the Arizona Cardinals, who through through game through three games are getting outgained by 115 yards per game. The Seahawks laying five, a total of 48. Yeah, I mean, Seattle's off kind of a fluky loss. Uh, it was a game where everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Special teams miscues, defensive miscues, offensive miscues 
Um, it wasn't a sharp game. Pete Carroll was not happy afterwards. And again, just like Atlanta, the quotes coming out of that Seahawks locker room were, maybe you want to bet on this team this week. Certainly positive quotes uh, from the Seahawks. And the matchup looks pretty good for Seattle here. Uh, you know, Arizona, I, I think we know what Arizona is. And Carolina showed it last week. The Lions showed it for three quarters week one. Not going to be an easy game for the Cardinals. Although I'll tell you this, every sports book in Las Vegas will be rooting for the Arizona Cardinals money. Nothing but Seattle money so far this week. When we come back, future book. Yeah, we talked about it yesterday. Today, college football. Long shot. Stay tuned right here on Week. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome back to Home Closing out a fully action-packed hour here for you on the Sports Grid Network. We're going to talk college football futures today and yesterday i gave a long diatribe about how why you never want to bet the future book and uh, the teams that are going to win are priced too good and the teams that aren't going to win you can find some attractive prices but the better bets are season win totals odds to win conferences and not bets where 129 out of the 130 teams are going to lose all of which i still agree with that being said when you're looking at the future book board for odds to win it all, there's one thing you can look for that can be profitable, and that is what I'll call a live long shot. A team 50 to 1, 100 to 1, 200 to 1 that has some path to get to the playoffs. And if they get there from the, from the start, you can lock in a profit uh, by hedging uh, on the other side of some of those ball games. So that's the one area where the future book can offer some value. And the team I'm going to talk about, and again, I'm going to use look uh, from the Westgate Superbook uh, here in Las Vegas. There are books all over the country, and each book has their own lines when it comes to uh, the future book. So you can find all kinds of variants. But I saw the Huskies, the Washington Huskies, at 200 to 1 to win the title. They have a loss already. Yes, an early season loss. That's good. They have an elite quarterback. An elite defense and a path to the playoff. That's what I'm interested. Ralph, you have a long shot you're looking at in college football to win it all for this year. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to just mention Virginia because Virginia is a team to me that, you know, you're going to go into Notre Dame. The, you know, while I thought Notre Dame would win, um, you know, if you beat Notre Dame, your only other road games are Miami of Florida, Louisville, North Carolina. Yeah, you're going to have to play Clemson in the ACC championship. But, you know, that's what you're doing. You're taking a team that you think potentially wins. So I'm going to call the Virginia Cavaliers. All right. You got Washington. I got Virginia. Two long shots in the 200 to one range that might be live come December. That's what the future book is useful for. Hopefully, you can make some good wagers and get down on some live dog and help position. Thank you so much for spending time out of your busy day with Ralph and I. We'll do it again tomorrow right here on the Sports Grid Network Wager Talk. Yeah, 23 hours. Don't touch that dial.